Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. What's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's October 13th, and it's the day of the miracle of the sun. We also tend to celebrate Our Lady of Fatima on this day, the miracle of Fatima. We're going to talk during our weekly marriage hour today about Our Lady of Fatima and especially about the calling she had uh, from Fatima for the sanctification of the family. We'll talk about the words from Fatima that day on the day of the miracle of the sun. And we'll talk about Sister Lucia's interpretation of what it meant for there to be a sanctification of the family. It's our weekly marriage hour here on Trending. Any question goes relating to dating, marriage, relationships. You don't have to be married to listen. Marriage is the end goal after all when it comes to dating, romance, and all of that that we experience. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We're going to be discussing the real reason young people are leaving the faith. And we're talking about it today during our weekly marriage hour because it actually has to do with marriage. Talk about marriage skills and resources as well. My guest today is J.P. Degans. He's the president and CEO of Communio. You can find that communio.org. That's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O.org. I recently saw a video that was done for Edify by J.P. Degans talking about the leading reason why young people are leaving the faith. You might be surprised, but it actually makes sense. Welcome to Trending, JP. I'm excited to unpack really what's at the heart of this crisis of faith today for many people uh, from millennials and Gen X, but what really started to occur with millennials. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tamaria. Awesome to be with you. You know, so many times we look at the Pew data, which most recently came out again, noting the future direction of Christianity in America, and it looks like we're heading in the, in the wrong direction. Too few people recognize that the origins of it actually come from the collapse of marriage itself, right? Uh, a millennial and a baby boomer actually goes to church every single week at nearly the exact same rate, if I know one thing about both of them. And that is, if they both grew up in a continuously married home, there's no difference in their weekly Sunday attendance. It levels, it levels the playing field. We see this in in other data sets as well. And obviously it should make plenty of sense, right? Uh, Salvation is told as a spousal love story. And when the human analog of it breaks down, if if I don't know and experience the love of a father in my home, then it's harder and harder to understand and recognize that there's a heavenly Mm -hmm. father who knows and loves Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and sent his only son to die for me. 
It's so true. It's so true, JP. I hear this over and over again, that disconnect where, you know, if I didn't have my father, if I had a bad relationship with my father, my understanding of God has completely been twisted or that understanding of unconditional love. Perhaps there were a lot of conditions in your upbringing from a broken home and being expected to, you know, please your parents and pretend like nothing was wrong while really having to alter how you really feel about things because of a separation or whatever it might be, yeah. you know, always having to perform that that pressure is so difficult that people really do question the possibility of a God who loves you unconditionally. You're you're absolutely right, right? And and so then it might some of your listeners might be saying, okay, yeah, sure, I get if I don't have a relationship with my dad, but what does that have to do with marriage? Actually, it has uh, the reality is it has everything to do with marriage. That statistically and on average, okay, so I'm not talking about any specific examples that your listeners might. Uh, uh, say are, are counter examples in their own lives. I'm talking about in general and statistically speaking, unmarried dads are unattached and, un, and far less likely to be involved in the lives of their children. Okay. So what ends up happening is you see this huge causal relationship between the decline of marriage and active faith participation as adults. So uh, we just did uh, uh, over just about 8,000 completed surveys of Sunday mass attendees in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas, where we're doing a major initiative. 90% of the married people who are sitting in the pews grew up in a continuously married home. And 85% of the unmarried people grew up in a continuously married home. And then when we sliced it right down to the never married singles, okay, the youngest cohort in the pews, 97% of those people who are never married that are going to mass on Sunday grew up in a continuously married home. Okay. So, so marriage uh, is absolutely central and it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't surprise us in a lot of ways. Pope John Paul II, who I'm named after called for a new evangelization. And it just so happens he's the Pope of marriage and the family, right? I mean, he wrote, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, he wrote some terrific apostolic exhortations, familiars consortio. He gave the gift of theology of the body, to the church, and he frequently led by seeking renewal of marriage and family life. And and that's uh, if, if we're if we're going to really spark authentic renewal, it has to Timmy, it has to involve a renewal of marriage and family life. You know, everybody talks about a decline in vocations right now. You can't help but see that there's a rapid decline in priestly vocations. You know, there's 38 percent fewer priestly vocations since the year 1970. But if you look at the decline of Catholic weddings, okay, they're down twice the, the two times as much as priestly ordinations. 77, there's 77% fewer Catholic weddings each year, yes. according to Kara's data. And, and so and this is, this is huge. Uh, overall, there's 61% fewer uh, weddings in total since 1970. Yep. So obviously plenty of people are getting married outside of the church and, but still, uh, it's 61% fewer folks getting married. And, and this is, it's re rewiring our demographics and, and changing how really we relate to God. I mean, that's significant. 1970 to 2019. I know 50 years is a long time, but to see the demographic change, and you mentioned that about 77% of Catholics, uh, there's a drop in, in weddings. And I mean, that's really for every 
what would have been four people married back then, it's only one person for every four right. people married today. That's a very significant drop, and it's a drop in both these people attending church to begin with, but then if they are attending, are they choosing to get married, and are they choosing to get married in the church as well? It's a stark, I think, awakening for many people who realize we're trying to fix what's happening in the church. We're trying to fix the godlessness in our society. But as you pointed out, which is very clear, the health of the family is very, very dependent, or the health of the family leads to whether or not people will practice their faith at the end of the day. Yeah, so if we want <clears throat> faith-filled people, that's what we need. Yeah, that's absolutely right, right? And look, we don't anthropomorphize God, right? Like I, I don't place my father on top of God. I'm a cheap imitation of the real thing, right? Uh, as a dad, I've got eight kids and and anything that's good about my fatherhood is only because it's a participation in the fatherhood of the Heavenly Father, right? And, and so at, we see obviously in Ephesians 5 and, and we see elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 13, you see this, the importance of Christian marriage, right? And you see that Christian marriage is an icon, obviously, of the love of, uh, of, of Jesus, the bridegroom, for his bride, the church, right? And, and so as that break, human analogy breaks down, it, you, you, what you're starting to see is obviously God, God it's in the human analogy is part of God's plan, right? And as it breaks down, the, our, our, our faith doesn't pass on uh, quite so easily. And, and so we, we did a, a study uh, with the Barna Group and just looked at how, what churches are doing in the area of marriage and relationship. And, and I, I'm here to tell you that as Catholics, we, obviously we've got some uh, we've got tremendous theology, right? Uh, uh, but we have to move from making marriage the object of our theology to making it the subject of our ministry. 82% of all Catholic parishes spend no money each and every year on marriage and relationship ministry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a brother who's a Catholic pastor down in Vero Beach, Florida. And I know canonically he's required to go on a spiritual retreat every year, right? And when he comes back from a spiritual retreat, nobody says to him, oh gosh, fathers, there's something wrong with your vocation, right? But how many times do we think if someone tells us, hey, I, I, I went on a marriage retreat with my wife, I went to a marriage class with my wife, how frequently are we likely to assume that maybe that person is having some problems? Maybe they're struggling, right? That's the only reason they would do that. If that's our, if that's our first uh, reaction, uh, then the, the first thing is we gotta change our reaction, right? Uh, our path, my vocation is as a as a married husband and so i need to grow in my discipleship with with jesus through my vocation and that means deepening in my love for my spouse and and working on that vocation that's just be normative right everybody should should do that we should always want to be as have be as um, have as good and as healthy of a marriage as we possibly can be and if we've got a great marriage then great we need to keep working on it and investing in it and and uh, in the same way that you know proper diet and exercise isn't is is for everybody, including the healthy, right? So so uh, th these are just some things that that we need to keep in mind at the parish level. We got to uh, help our married people live a rule of life that helps them deepen in their holiness as married people. And I, I you know I, in my in so many parishes. There's a lot of uh, men's ministry, men's groups, women's groups, and, and I, I don't mean to take too much away from those, but again, I, I, I don't have a vocation to be a man. I have a vocation to be a married man if I'm married, right? Like that's my vocation, right? And so, so mm -hmm. feed me there. Feed me in my vocation.
don't let it be too generic or you know, overarching, I think, is sometimes the challenge that we try to meet the needs of too many people at once rather than focusing on the real need. And the need, again, that's being pointed to is the real reason young people are leaving the faith. That's J.P. DeGans from Communio here on Trending with Tim Ray. Something we haven't talked about yet, J.P., is the fact that most people who are leaving the faith are actually leaving between the ages of 10 and 20. And we talk about that here on Trending. There are a lot of people who, you know, identify as a nun, not identifying with any religion whatsoever. Uh, But what's always, I think, astounding and is a wake-up call is that these uh, kids aren't leaving, you know, when they go away to college and they're making their own decisions. No, we see this especially with young people talking to them day in and day out, that they're leaving in their early, early teen years. And often this is chalked up to the fact that, you know, they're becoming more enlightened in school and they're learning all of these different worldviews, which is true. But it's also the age where they're really realizing the pain often of those broken homes and questioning God, not just from a intellectual standpoint, but from the standpoint of how this has impacted them emotionally, whether or not they believe in God in the midst of the brokenness they themselves have experienced within the context of what was supposed to be the primary influential relationship that led them and ushered them in emotional, physical, and psychological security. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, 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 you know, you reference a, a great study done uh, uh, called Going, Going, Gone, and, and they looked at and, and interviewed uh, a, a number of former Catholics, and 74% said they left between the age of 10 and 20 with the median age of a young person, an adult, saying that they left their Catholic faith being 13, right? And uh, if we, if we think young. about that, it's really young, right? And I think we're so very frequently inclined to, um, we want to look at uh, survey data in, in the sense of like, I want to know your opinion. I want to know why you left the church. I want to know why you stopped going. I want to suggest to all of our listeners here uh, that frequently we don't, we understand a lot less about why we do the things that we do than we perhaps often understand. And so frequently, it's not that people are being dishonest in surveys. They, they, they give the reason that they think is the most likely answer. These are sometimes called rationalizations. Uh, uh, and and um, uh, when you, um, uh, it's extremely rare, right, for a person to say something like, well, why'd you stop going to church? Well, you know, I, I just had a failure to attach to my father. I just didn't have a great relationship mm-hmm. with my dad. And that. so they, they don't say that because they don't think to say that. That's, that would be a, a deeper underlying psychological motivator. So the answers are really left brain rationalizations that come in later. And as clergy, as Catholics who are interested in evangelization and discipleship, um, we might be tempted to think that those explanations are at face value accurate, right? I'll I'll share an anecdote. We have a nanny who's a friend. She had nannied for us to help us out at different times. She's really just a great friend of ours. And um, she shared with us, we learned you know, she'd gone to mass each week, um, and um, but she had been in confession since uh, confirmation as a child. And uh, it's through our relationship with her over the years, she, she shared that she had a really a strange relationship with her father. And through the research on my, on my work, I started to connect the dots and thought maybe there's something there. And I, we were out to breakfast one morning and, I, and we were talking about it, just hearing and listening to her own journey, her own story about her, her family and her faith. And 
I leaned in and I just shared with her. I said, you know, uh, don't, don't allow your inability to have a relationship with your dad to stop you from having a deeper, deeper or more meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. He loves you. He wants you to come back to Him in confession. Come back to confession, right? And, um, and, and she began to, uh, to cry then. And she, shared, she, um, she said she would get back to confession. And she ended up going to confession for the first time in over 30 years that week. And she let us know. And, and, wow. uh, and uh, uh, we can't underestimate how, and praise God for that, and, but we can't underestimate how much the issues as it relates to our family of origin drive uh, on a psychological and powerfully emotional level decisions, especially as they relate to, to faith. And so when you see online, you see people uh, explain the reasons that they left. It's frequently, I just want to suggest to everybody, it's frequently it's not that folks, nobody's being dishonest. That's not what I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. It's just frequently we're just not, uh, we're just not in tune and, and aware on a deeper emotional mm -hmm. and psychological level why we might do the things that we do often. And, mm -hmm. and so it's so important for us, uh, obviously, to get and, and get a better understanding of each person's story. And, um, and then as Catholics, I, I think it's, su it's super important for us uh, to help foster the vocation of marriage, right? Uh, you know, it, the I jokingly say I was at a, a parish in Austin, Texas last night giving a talk. I said, you know, the, I'll let the folks know there, you know, uh, the first time you talk to your daughter about dating is not is is not when she rides home on the back of a motorcycle with a guy named Viper, right? Like that's not, and, you know, that's <laughs> right. you got to talk, you got to start laying the groundwork a lot before that, right? And, but how often as parents are we talking to our kids about getting great grades, getting a great college, getting a great job or career, uh, scoring a lot? on your travel team or uh, performing really well athletically. Uh, and then, and let's think about cumulatively all the times that we discuss that. And how often then do we juxtapose that as a parent? Do we talk to our, our son or daughter beginning at a young age? I think it's just the importance of, of, uh, of the vocation, you know, discerning the vocation, the priesthood of religious life and, and marriage. And, and then how often do we talk to them and actually talk about on a practical basis, you know, how should you, Think about discerning whether or not uh, a boy or, or a, a, a girl suitor is is right, uh, right for your son right. or daughter, right? And and yeah, these are we've conversations that need to have early on uh, in that form formative time. That's a JP Tagans from Communio. He's the founder and president there. You can find them at communio.org. That's C O M M U N I O. Dot or we'll be right back to talk about marriage skills and resources to have in your back pocket, whether you're married or in that season of discernment. We'll be back here in a moment just on trending. If you have a question, the number is 1-888-914-9149. We're going to talk about the calling of Fatima to sanctify families in just a moment. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back. We're going to talk about Our Lady of Fatima here, October 13th, marks the miracle of the sun. And we're going to talk about the calling of Fatima to sanctify families. 
We'll come to that in just a moment as well as Sister Lucia's interpretation of what that meant. But before we do, joining me now is J.P. DeGantz from Communio. You can find them excellent resources on marriage at communio.org. That's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O.org. And J.P., I want to talk about skills and resources that are needed in marriage. You guys partner and work with parishes as well as in the secular society right now, helping to build up marriages what skills do you think Catholic spouses need that we could or should be receiving or being educated on in the church that we're just missing out on as married people? Yeah, absolutely. You know, first and foremost, uh, I'm going to draw an analogy, Timory, with the priestly life for any any clergy listening and, and, and for all the lay people listening, right? When, when, when a man goes and enters seminary today universally, uh, they, they are, there's a, the first year they're there is basically a detox year now where they're disconnected from the culture so, and they can be uh, uh, better formed on a human level so that the later spiritual formation can get layered on top of that effectively, right? And, and think about that. If, that's, if, if a man enters seminary, this is among, you know, a man who's prayerfully discerned and, and thinking about his vocation, uh, how much more so do, do married people need better human formation, right? We know as Catholics, Grace builds on nature, okay, and uh, uh, obviously uh, regular, a regular prayer life is super important. Reception of the sacraments is super important. We know this, but what we frequently don't know is what we need on a human level. In my book, Endgame, uh, which any of your listeners can, can uh, pick up on Amazon or you can go to endgamebook.org, that's endgamebook.org, I go into 10 different skill areas, right? Five are interpersonal how I relate to my spouse, and five are intrapersonal, right? How do I relate to the inner self, right? And, and there's skills that are uh, known and knowable, teachable. I'll, I'll just, I'm not going to talk about all 10. I'll give a couple uh, examples of, of, of some. Obviously, folks understand the importance and need to have shared expectations, right, in, in mm-hmm. relationships and marriages. One of the most powerful negative emotions is betrayal, and it's often not infidelity as betrayal in marriage, but this idea that this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't at all what I expected. I mm-hmm. thought we'd be able to spend time together and he's, <laughs> he's at work and he's home too late and I don't get to see him and I'm exhausted. I'm putting the kids to bed or vice versa, whatever it might be. Uh, that can actually complaint. elicit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can elicit the emotional uh, fear of betrayal in, in, in us. So, so then, all right. So then there are skills that are that are practicable and knowable about, okay, how do we communicate our expectations with each other effectively? And how do we figure out ways to meet one another's expectations? Okay. Um, and so uh, th- that is wrapped up in two different skills, the communications and the expectations management skills. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so at the parish level, frequently, uh, you know, we as Catholics, we go when we're engaged and you get, you, you get, um, you go to the the, the pre Cana event, and, and uh, I'm in, going to be intentionally critical about these in general. Mine was so <laughs> awful. Mine too um, was awful. Part- <laughs> and I, I jokingly call it the uh, the baton death march of marriage. What happens? You show up, and it's an eight hour ordeal, nine hour ordeal, and you you get lectured and talked to for <laughs> eight or nine hours. And if you, I'm going to draw an analogy to sports for a second. I'm a big sports guy, Timory, and and you know if you go out and if I want to become good at golf, right? I wouldn't just turn on the TV and watch the Masters, right? Or watch uh, the British Open. That, that won't make me a better golfer. If I want to become a better golfer, I actually have to go out 
on the driving range and it, someone has to one hopefully teach me the skill of, of driving uh, a golf ball i have to learn the skills of chipping and putting and then i have to go practice it right if you're going to be good at anything you have to practice the skills necessary to be good at it and we know in the spiritual life this is true you don't just show up and and uh, you know all of a sudden you're in the unitive way you, you have to actually work uh, corresponding to God's grace, you you cultivate the skills of the spiritual life, and and this is also necessary on a human level in marriage. Okay, we have to uh, practice the skills, and so, it, and so as Catholics, I, I want to uh, both chastise and encourage, exhort all of uh, pr practitioners in this area. Uh, your your amazing talk on marriage itself isn't actually going to change much. Okay, if you can help people to practice the skill, the skills associated with, with being happy in your marriage, that will be transformative, right? And, and mm -hmm. that is what is so deeply lacking uh, in Catholic parish life um, and, and something that we ought to cultivate. And, and those real life uh, human uh, skills, you know, those simple things at the end of the day uh, that are a part of our faith, but for some reason we separate and maybe just focus on the theology. But then again, there's no formation once you're married uh, for spouses today. And you're right. I mean, I just remember how gushy our pre-kina was, and we were there for nine hours, and we were still supposed to do a three-day retreat, and I begged our priest, don't make me go to that retreat, because I barely made it through the nine-hour day we had to attend, it, because there just was not um, the richness of what was needed. But the one talk I remember from that day that wasn't heretical uh, was on relationship skills, and it was a psychiatrist that they had brought in to help give those little nuggets for proper communication uh, within the context of marriage, and it's so necessary. So I want to make sure we post a link to your book, Endgame. I will post on social media at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, -E, and we're tagging Communio as well. GP, let's talk about the resources and programs that you with Communio are implementing into some parishes to help bolster marriages today. What resources are those that you guys are Yeah, yeah, we're excited. So we're an ecumenical ministry. We have Catholic and evangelical board members we work with right now. We have about 100 client churches. Now, first and foremost, no one will ever, as a as a listener, will go to a communio marriage program. Okay, what we do is we I say that we have got the John the Baptist strategy. We want the the church to increase, and we got to decrease. So we we want to equip the church to be the change agent on marriage and fostering marriage and relationship skills. We want to equip uh, parishes to become evangelizing hubs for healthy relationships and marriage. Okay, so so then. Uh, most folks, you know, uh, when they hear marriage ministry, they run from it. It sounds like not <laughs> like not, it's not fun. And then try to get a, a guy to show up to a marriage ministry. <laughs> you think I'm going to like share my feelings? You gotta be kidding me. That's like, <laughs> you might as well, you know, it, the level of difficulty is like splitting the atoms. So, so when we work with parishes, uh, and we currently are working with, with 10 parishes, for instance, in Kansas City, Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas, working with parishes, about 10 in the Archdiocese of Denver, working with parishes in uh, a parish in Boston, Bridgeport Diocese, Archdiocese of New York, Palm Beach Diocese, around the country. And, and when we do this, we, we first want to create an environment that's where, where marriage ministry feels like fun. And you may not even realize that you're doing ministry and working on your skills, right? So, um, uh, I jokingly say I'm not just the hair club president, I'm also the client. My, my brother, uh, who I mentioned earlier, is a Catholic pastor, and, and he's one of our partner parishes, and, and he regularly, they, they have fun activities for their couples, 
And for instance, I think they most recently had a hoedown and they brought in somebody to teach country line dancing. And then they mixed in relationship skills, activities in between dances for couples to pour into their marriages. He's had couples come back to them and say, this saved my marriage. Uh, thank you so much. They have quite a number of non-active mass attendees showing up. They've got uh, folks at different churches coming and now uh, taking a look at the Catholic Church now as a result of this ministry, right? So, um, so yeah, uh, uh, at, at we talk about when we work with a parish, think about it as the form, the matter is up to Father, and we advise Father on the matter and his leadership team. So we equip them to build out what we call a data-informed full-circle relationship ministry. Data-informed mm -hmm. means to diagnose what's going on uh, or analyze what's going on in the community and the church, and then equip a parish with the skills and ministry necessary for every stage of relationship life. Because I know there's a lot of folks listening right now who aren't married, may never be married again if they were if they were married at one point or, or haven't been married yet. Okay, so we really are intentional also about singles. I, I co-wrote the book Endgame with John Van Epp. He's uh, an evangelical uh, practitioner, great guy, but I, I was so excited to work with him because he wrote the book, best-selling book, How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk, uh, which I read <laughs> to my 14, 16, and now 17-year-old uh, oldest three children. And uh, uh, he is an expert on uh, in, in the single life and and so we work with parishes to also develop what are the what are the skills for single people for relationship mm -hmm. discernment for forming healthy relationships even you know the idea of of having healthy christian friendships right a lot of the skills that help you if be good and have a healthy marriage at the end of the day when you when you when you peel them back they're really skills that foster human relationship and friendship right i, I deepen mm -hmm. in my friendship Very with my true. wife Right. And so then it also helps uh, with others. So so when so I, I say all that to say that that there really isn't there shouldn't be an excuse for any and every parish to, to have a relationship ministry. It's the need. I think Mother Teresa said in year 2000, I think it was 2004, she said uh, that loneliness is the is the leprosy of the West. And in so many ways, she said it, it's worse than our poor of Calcutta. And um, right now. These challenges, I think, in marriage, and we'll get JP back in just a moment. Uh, our St. Teresa of Calcutta was so, so focused on many of the wounds within the context of the family and marriage and that isolation. It was so profound. JP's correct uh, with regard to the loneliness and isolation, but the loneliness and isolation, not just that occurs for a single person, which is very serious, but within the context of living a married life, we have so much available at our fingertips in terms of material opportunities, but also in terms of communication. Yet at the same time, we're not finding ourselves more satisfied by the incredible technological advancements materially or socially in terms of communication. And so what St. Mother Teresa and others have commented about coming in between the 20th and 21st century are most poignant within the context of marriage in particular. We are so grateful for J.P. DeGantz from Communio. He's a founder and president there. They're partnering with individual churches and dioceses across the nation to help dive into what's happening within local communities and how can we work to provide marriage ministries uh, that are actually feeding the people and meeting a need and ones that men aren't scared to go to or vice versa, women as well. So be sure to check them out at communio.com 
dot com. Again, that's communio or sorry, communio.org, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O dot org. We post the link in the podcast notes for this episode, as well as on social media, as well as to that very practical and helpful book called Endgame to help build up those skills to strengthen marriages through the hard times and through the good times before it becomes a problem. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. We celebrate Our Lady of Fatima today. She kind of gets two feast days because today marks the anniversary of the miracle of the sun. We'll talk a little bit about the miracle of the sun and one of the last messages and callings of Our Lady of Fatima to sanctify families on that final apparition. And we'll talk about Sister Lucia's comments and really building up marriage within our families. And if you're not married yet, I loved listening to the importance of marriage and good things about marriage beforehand so that when it came time, there was greater strength and understanding what we were entering into in that vocation or supporting others in it. We'll be right back here on Trending with Timory. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. It's great to be back with you. It's our weekly marriage hour, dating relationships and marriage. It all matters. You don't have to be married to dive in. Or you could be seasoned as well in marriage. The number is 1-888-914-9149 if you have a question. Or you can always ask your question live on Instagram. I'm there. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You might catch a fun baby photo or two. I posted a really sweet photo of my new goddaughter because that's where I was at recently. I was off for a little while celebrating my new niece and now she's my god baby. It always strikes me. And this is so relevant to the topic of marriage and family today. It has always struck me uh, that when we attend a baptism, do we realize that at that moment, that person is a living, breathing saint and that especially when it's an infant, there's a prolonged amount of time where that little infant is an absolute saint. And we are responsible as the community, as friends, family members, parents, godparents, to help informing and educating to keep that precious child a saint, to preserve them in their sanctity. And I think that's much of what this conversation is about today. So today is one of the two quasi-feast days of Our Lady of Fatima. You know it is May 13th, but also October 13th marks the miracle of Fatima, also known as the miracle of the sun. Now, Sister Lucia, in some of her latter days and in a letter that she wrote, was actually very, very providential in a prediction she made. A prediction in something I think very formed in her knowledge based on the revelations and the apparitions she received at Fatima. Remember, Sister Lucia received apparitions for years, both before and after the miracle of the sun. But Sister Lucia wrote this, the final battle between the kingdom of the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. She goes on in that same statement to talk about how viscerally people will be attacked who defend and promote marriage and the family. Hmm. Doesn't sound like anything we are experiencing today. Well, here are a few pieces of data from the recent U.S. census that was conducted when everyone was stuck at home in the midst of COVID. It shows that less than 18% of United States households are married families today with minor children. So fewer than ever before are homes filled with children and with children in those younger years. 
Also today, this is astounding, only 4 in 10 children are born to married parents. By the time a child hits their high school year, only about 1 out of 2 students have actually been raised continuously by both the parents. The breakdown of the family, the lack of marriage, children outside of wedlock is on the rise. And this is something we see just 100 years, and in fact, for many years prior to this, after the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. That last public apparition known as the Day of the Miracle of the Sun that we mark today on October 13th, going all the way back to 1917. Can you believe that was 105 years ago? In many ways, this doesn't seem that distant to me, in part because my great-grandmother, who I was very, very close to until her death, she was born in 1919. And so I remember when I first learned that Our Lady of Fatima, all those apparitions, everything happened within a couple years of my grandmother's birth, it always has made uh, Our Lady of Fatima and those apparitions so real and concrete to me and present. Even though we're talking about something that was over a hundred years ago now, it wasn't that long ago. And Our Lady of Fatima, so briefly, if you don't know about the miracle of the sun, the miracle of the sun, again, occurred on October 13th, which is why we often still celebrate Our Lady of Fatima on this day, 1917. Happened right in the middle of the day at about 2 p.m. I was actually reading a testimony from a Dr. Goncalo de Almeida. He was a professor of natural science, and he talks about how this completely, I mean, this miracle of the sun completely defied science. And he talked about how he gazed at what was the sun, that it became something you could actually look at without having to squint or cover your eyes. And he said he gazed at it and it looked like a wheel of mother of pearl. I thought that was such a neat description. Uh, Sister Lucia, one of the three and really the main um, seer who saw these visions and saw more of them as well and lived much longer than Jacinto um, and the other, just slipped my mind, um, Francisco and Jacinta, um, she lived years after these apparitions. The other two died at a much, much younger age. In fact, all the way into the 2000s, we still had, you know, Sister Lucia uh, sharing. And Sister Lucia in 1995 published what is known as a very long letter of what she says are kind of an explanation or a response to many of the requests and questions she's received with regard to the apparitions at Fatima and the various calls that Our Lady of Fatima made. She breaks down the Ten Commandments. Uh, she breaks down each of the calls. And one of the calls of Our Lady of Fatima was to the sanctification of the family. Now, this call in particular, Sister Lucia notes, occurred on October 13th, 1917, on the day of the miracle of the sun that we're celebrating today. And she comments, Sister Lucia says, while the people were gazing in astonishment at the sun, as it had gone pale in the light of the presence of God, should this three children saw, including herself, beside the sun, three distinct and to us significant apparitions. One of the apparitions she points out was the apparition of the Holy Family. She had Our Lady and the Child Jesus in the arms of St. Joseph, blessing the people. This is how Sister Lucia interprets this. She said, in times of such as the present, again, this was written in 1997, 
When the family often seems misunderstood in the form in which it has been established by God and is assailed by doctrines that are erroneous and contrary to the purpose for which the divine creator instituted it, surely God wished to address to us a reminder of the purpose for which he established the family in the world. So what Sister Lucy is saying is she believes that one of the very last um, visions that she had in the apparition of the Holy Family on that last major day, the miracle of the sun, the fact that it was of the Holy Family, Our Lady and the Child Jesus in the arms of St. Joseph blessing the people, she found this very significant at a time when we don't understand the family anymore. We talked about this yesterday on Trending. Views of the family today, the traditional patriarchal, God-given plan for the family is considered outdated. Patriarchy is considered wrong, old-fashioned, sexist even. And I find it fascinating that Sister Lucia notes that on the day of the miracle of the sun, there's a reason why God sent an apparition of the Holy Family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, blessing the people. Because it was a reminder for us of the purpose, Sister Lucia says, for which God established the family in the world. Sister Lucia goes on to say that God entrusted to the family the sacred mission of cooperation with God in the work of creation. And that through the creation of new human life, Sister Lucia says that we share in God's creative power. She talks about this great gift and uh, talking about how there's this ownership that God extends to us in allowing us to co-create with him and bringing forth new lives. But she said, not just new lives, but new lives destined for heaven. And I asked the question, whether you desire to have children, maybe you're trying to have children or you already have children. Do you view those lives as lives that are not destined to please you, not destined to be the most successful at this or that or have the best grades or go to the best university or have the perfect family or the perfect home or the perfect vacation or the perfect social media account? Or do you view potential children or your current children as destined for heaven? Because this is the context in which Sister Lucia, one of the three visionaries of Fatima, understood the calling of Our Lady of Fatima in that very last vision on the miracle of the day of the sun. This is what she saw was most important. This was the context of the sanctification of the family, to refocus on the God-given order of the family and to understand that each new life is destined for heaven. Sister Lucia talks about matrimony and the importance of understanding that marriage is indissoluble. It's an indissoluble union, meaning it's permanent, it's faithful, till death do us part. Those are the vows that we make. When Jesus Christ himself, and Sister Lucia points this out in this book, I'm reading this book from, again, 1995, Calls from the Message of Fatima, where she breaks down the various callings of our Lady of Fatima and the twelve, or sorry, the Ten Commandments, all all of these things that Fatima, Our Lady of Fatima, had walked through, and she talks about in her meditation on the sanctification of the family that Jesus Christ Himself, when talking about marriage and family, He really focuses on what God intended from the beginning. In Matthew chapter nineteen, we see an example of this as well as Mark ten. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In other words. God plans out what marriage and family looks like. It's been planned from the beginning. 
Don't go off of course. What was prevalent and relevant at the dawn of creation is relevant today when it comes to human nature, the rearing of children, and the purpose of human life. Sister Lucia later goes on in talking about matrimony. She says, What God has joined together, let no man put us under, quoting our Lord Jesus Christ. But then she then says, They become one by the bond of love, that is the spouses, that led them to commit themselves to each other in the one ideal of cooperation with God in the work of creation. And this involves a sacrifice and immolation that the giving of oneself always implies. So this involves mutual understanding, forgiveness, and pardon. So it is thus that a home is built up and made holy and gives glory to God. So Sister Lucy is giving us a little hint into some of the things that need to be done within our marriages. And she's interpreting the messages of Our Lady of Fatima, at least what she's pondering, thinking, as people are asking her what the sanctification of the family means. She's saying, focus on the fact that God joined men and women together, and no one is meant to interrupt that. It's a bond of love. And she mentions we need cooperation. So it's a challenge for us married spouses to cooperate with each other and children to cooperate with your parents. She talks about the importance of sacrifice, of making sacrifices. That means when something's difficult, when something's hard, when you don't want to do something, you suck it up by offering it up. It's not just a, hey, let me endure this pain, but let me offer this to you, Christ, just as you offered the pain of all of the sins of the world, of each of those wounds, the crown of thorns. Let me offer this to you, this little thing that's annoying me about my spouse, or the fact that for an hour and a half today, as I tried to get a half an hour workout in and my child decided 10 times she needed a new piece of food to snack on and then she needed her blanket and then she needed this, <laughs> to which at what point you, you throw your hands up. I don't know why I ever try to work out while she's awake. <laughs> but, you know, these little things that happen day in and day out that are so frustrating that are opportunities not to just suck it up, but to sacrifice, to offer up those challenging moments for a moment and opportunity of virtue. An opportunity to love the person that's in front of you and at times just drop everything. Sister Lucia, in interpreting the call to the sanctification of the family and commenting on it, she talked about the importance within the marriage of mutual understanding. That means we actually try to understand our spouse. Not assume what they think. Not try to make up what we think, make up their intentions, but to actually understand who they are, what they're saying, what their needs are, what their desires are. Sister Lucia also says that we need to focus on forgiveness, but not just forgiveness, but pardon, pardoning, just letting go of it, allowing someone to be pardoned and not hold something over their heads. She says, it is thus that a home is built up and made holy and gives glory to God. So how? By forgiveness, pardoning, mutual understanding, sacrifice, emulating our Lord Jesus Christ, cooperating with your spouse, cooperating with God, and understanding the words of Jesus Christ yet again, what therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I think that's an important uh, point as well, that we don't let other people, the ways of the world, what other people think, what other family members think or do, or request or ask, to interrupt what God has joined together in marriage. 
I was just talking to my husband about this. It's so easy uh, to almost be be interrupted by so many other people and other ideas in the world when it comes to our marriage. And we have to say, no, this is our marriage. We protect it. We preserve it. You know, we hear, we listen, we have this exposure to the world, which is so important. But it's important that you're protecting your marriage from the ways of the world, the perspectives of others that can at times be so damaging and interrupting in that family life that you're living. Sister Lucia then talks about parents and parents and their role role toward children, the role of the children. She says, parents do not instill a knowledge of God and his commandments into their children from an early age, teaching them to keep them in mind and to observe them. So Sister Lucia says literally, and this was in 1997, parents are not instilling the knowledge of God and the commandments in their children from an early age. And she's saying this needs to be done from a very, very early age. This is why tomorrow on Trending, I'm going to share with you a little bit about what I've been doing to educate and form my baby girl, who's now a toddler in her faith. There's some things that have really picked up well. We talked about these just a little bit earlier this week, but I'm gathering your tips and tricks for what's worked in passing on the faith. And I'll show you some really fun and simple things because my daughter's not even two yet of how I'm passing on and kindling that faith within her. It's really neat to see. And I was reminded of this as I've been reading this book by Sister Lucia on the messages of Fatima and the calling of Fatima, especially today talking about the sanctification of the family and the miracle of the son. And I want to talk to you about that more tomorrow. So stay with me. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already to catch the episode if you're not able to join us live. But Sister Lucia says, parents who disregard this law of God make themselves responsible for the ignorance of their children and for any misdemeanors that may result from it. So what Sister Lucia is saying is that, yes, you know, we know and we have to understand this, especially as parents, that children, especially adult children, will make their own choices. But it's important that we understand parents have disregarded the law of God informing children from a young, young age in their faith. And that's where parents are culpable today for the, the ignorance that they have allowed to occur within their children with regard to the faith. I've heard so many people say, you know, I want my child to have an education. So they outsource education. But the most important education you can pass on to your child is their faith. And that faith should form every area of our lives from science to math to reading. That there is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as goodness and morality. Sister Lucia says that the parents are the ones who must guide their children's first steps to the altar of God teaching them to raise their innocent hands and to pray, helping them to discover how to find God on their way and to follow the echo of his voice. She talks about how children in those earliest years much learn their faith from the laps of their mothers and the arms of their fathers. Are we passing on the faith in this way, as Sister Lucia is saying, pointing back to Our Lady of Fatima? Coming up next is a family rosary across America celebrating today the miracle of the sun and Our Lady of Fatima and Patrick Madrid will be joining Father Rocky as well. So stay put and pray with us the family rosary across America. 
This is Timmery from Trending with Timmery. This week as we celebrate Our Lady of Fatima, she called for the sanctification of the family. And part of that has to do with how we pass on the faith. So I'll talk about teaching the faith to a toddler and a baby. I'd love your ideas. I'll share with you a little bit about what's worked for me. Also, third wave feminist icon Madonna supposedly came out as gay this week. Publicity stunt or not? Join me Friday as we discuss this and more at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.